flying her own solo mission, Laris sets out to prove her mettle as an honest businesswoman transporting cargo for Doctors Without Sectors. Sent to a far-flung outpost in the midst of a civil war, it's immediately apparent this will not be smooth sailing. Hey everybody, this is Billy from the Fanable Podcast Network, and I'm excited to say we are back with Solo Shot! As uh, some of you might notice that uh, we've kind of switched things up for today. I am taking the role as Game Master, and the wonderful Angela will be playing as the PC. Angela, tell the lovely audience who you're going to be playing. I am back once again for our second annual game of Laris being the PC. Ah, yes, Laris, everyone's favorite cyborg. Now, before our break, we focused on Castian and his adventures on Rishi. That's where he was left, and he was left there because Laris was able to get a job working for... Doctors Without Sectors. Yes, she was able to procure a job there. Her destination was near Rishi. Well, it was close enough. So she could drop off Castian, he could make some money, and then she could make her delivery and then come on back. Now, Laris, you have just dropped off Castian. And right now, it is a two-day journey uh, until you reach the planet that you're heading off to. Now, we never actually established what planet you were heading off to. Mm -hmm. So allow me, because I'm sure Laris is the type to research wherever she's going. Of course she is. First, I'm going to give you the planet you're heading towards. Then I'm going to give you the organization, a little information on the organization of Doctors of Outsectors. Now, Laris is flying to the planet of Mudar. M-U apostrophe D-O-R. Mudar is a planet that is smack dab in a massive civil war currently. Now, the planet itself is actually fairly new to the galactic circuit as it's like on the very edge of the galaxy, very much close to the, the Rishi passage. Uh, it's right there. It's not in the micro galaxy, but it is close, which means it's been far away from uh, a lot of the other planets. It takes time to get there. A long time? Yes, a long time. A long, long time. Uh, it was discovered 25 years ago by the Republic Scouts, but was mostly left alone, save for like a small sharing of technology and history and art. And this was mostly due to because uh, I think like two years later, the Clone War started and the Republic had kind of their attention drawn away. Now, the entire civilization is a partial monarchy. They have a royal family, which leads the government, but they also have like a parliament system who guides the royal family. And the only thing really interesting about them is that every 50 years, a new royal family is selected during a planet-wide vote. And it's usually the same royal family wins, but that's kind of like their, the moment where the royalty can get kicked out and a new fa uh, royal family can be established. It's weird, but it works for them. Mudar was mostly uh, overlooked by everyone because of how long it takes to get there, like I said. But the one thing that makes it almost worthwhile flying out there is they have an unbelievable amount of dunium uh, located on the eastern continent. It's believed that during like the formation of this planet so a long, long time ago, like a moon-sized asteroid of dunium must have crashed right into the planet. Uh, the continent in question where the dunium is located is called the Meadowlands, as it practically has no flora, uh, no fauna. It's merely dirt, sand, and dunium. This dunium is the sole reason why the mining guild at first was interested in establishing some sort of presence there, and then later on why the Empire actually decided to have a presence there because of that sweet, sweet dunium. The Mudars, a king and queen, were killed in a failed military coup that occurred about five years ago. Half the planet followed General Ariston Vijar, in trying to rid the planet of a monarchy, and the other half fell behind advisor Mutaki, who sp speaks for the future queen, Elizabeth Her. She was like five when her parents were killed, so she's like ten now. So clearly not really ready to call the shots, no matter what kind of space princess she is. Both factions are actually working with the Empire, and that's actually been a big benefit to Civil Wars because each faction controls about half of the Meadowlands, and the more weapons they need, the more supplies, the more they give up to the Empire. So the Empire doesn't even actually have to fight their way to take control of the Meadowlands. They're getting offered it left and right by both factions. So right now, the Empire is 
totally fine just sitting back and, and just kind of watching and waiting for whoever wins. On Mudar, the people who live there, they, they're very humanoid. They are called Mudarians, and they appear pretty much like humans, have a variety of skin tones and shapes. The only difference between them and humans are they have a spoon-shaped leathery nose. Kind of like a koala's nose if we're going with earth animals. That's the only difference. And with that, that's all you need to know about Mudar. Uh, Doctors Without Sectors uh, was started during the Clone Wars. Their sole goal is to provide aid to civilization. Uh, during the Clone Wars, they were expected to only aid separatist civilians, not soldiers. And the Empire pretty much has that same deal. They can help civilians, but they cannot help active enemies of the Empire. Of course, the Empire has been known to declare an entire planet's populace enemies of the Empire, thus making the Doctors Without Sectors unable to help them, but that's kind of the agreement. While Doctors Without Sectors must follow the rules of the Empire, the Empire doesn't really help them. Sometimes Doctors Without Sectors can bribe a Sector's moth or a general in order to get like a squadron of uh, stormtroopers. Or if they or the Empire really wants to have a good publicity, they might donate supplies to Doctors Without Sectors. But it's not really a give and, you know, sharing relationship. It is mostly follow our orders or we'll shut you down and we're going to make it more difficult for you to actually do what you want to do. Right now, Doctors Without Sectors are on this planet. They're aiding the civilians, but they're also aiding both sides because both sides are working for the Empire. And as of right now, from what you got before you flew out, there is an Imperial presence on the planet that is assisting with Doctors Without Sectors, making sure that nobody is, you know, destroying the hospitals. And as you lay down your data pad after getting that data dump, your head hurts. It's a sharp pain in your frontal lobe. To the point where you have to squeeze your eyes closed because the the lights above you are just – they're blinding. I interface with the computer system and set illumination to 25%. I need you to make a difficulty roll for that. Difficulty hard. What, what stat do you need me to roll? Computers. One success and one threat. You're able to easily get the computer system to, to dim, but it's, it's almost like you go – the long way around doing it. Whereas mostly you would think that Laris knows how to basically just flip a switch, push down a dial. You have to go about it in a completely different way of like reprogramming the binary to adjust how much power flow goes into it. It's, it's very inefficient, but your head stops hurting right now. And just when you feel like, okay, I'm a, I'm okay again, the door to your cabin opens up and Castian walks in. Laris! Laris! Sir, when did you return? What are you talking about? That was days ago. I need you to look at this datapad. It's, it's, I've been trying to decipher a message from uh, Cerise Nabella, and I, I, I can't make heads and tails of it. It's, a, it's some sort of code. Could you help me, please? Laris sluggishly takes the datapad. And when she looks up, Castian is no longer right in front of her. He's leaning against the doorway, checking his watch. Any time, Laris. It's been five minutes. This is a very hard roll. Five purples. Cheats. Still computers? Mm-hmm. Oof. <laughs> uh, so, five advantages. I feel like this is very important to emphasize. Five advantages and six failures. <laughs> Laris knows to drop the data pad before it fries her hand. Sparks begin jumping out of it, and Castian's like, oh, no, 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 no! And he rushes up to it, reaches out for it, and it sparks, and he jumps back before the data pad literally just catches on fire. And Castian, he gets this look on his face as if somebody just kicked his puppy. Those are not replaceable. Those are messages from Cerise Nabella. What have you done? It wasn't you my fault. You stupid, useless girl! He grabs you by the arm, almost painfully. And Laris feels weak, as if she's... Six years old again, and Castian almost seems to be looming over her with a, 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 an overly uh, expressed scowl on his face. What is wrong with you? Let me go. No, no, you listen here. You've Let been me go. slow and inefficient, and I'm tired of it. And he's now dragging her throughout of her room. And Skitter's right there saying, Hello, madam. 
I don't want to go. Very good, madam. Don't worry, I'll take good care of the captain. I don't want to go. And Castine, he's dragging you, uh, dragging you through the ship towards the escape pod. And the more you're moving, the more you just get confused. You almost forget how to walk. You almost feel like you, you don't even know how to control your bladder. You, uh, the idea of there's being a tongue in your mouth feels like lead. You feel so slow, the world so confusing, and suddenly this, this man, and you think he's an angry man, throws you into a really dark room, and he's shouting, and he's it's almost like barking, and you don't know why he's angry, and you don't know who you are, and you can't breathe anymore. You don't even know what breathing is, and Suddenly he hit something and then stars are around you as you're sucked into space and Laris, you wake up. This is going to be a fear check. Uh, three difficulty. And you know what? I'm going to upgrade one of those purples to a red. Uh, so I think this is a brand new outcome for the solo shot. Um, I have one threat. I have one despair. So you failed. I have two triumphs. So I guess you succeeded to triumph, speed, one despair. Okay, so you still, okay, here's the good news. You immediately wake up and you know you're dreaming. Not only that, but you're able to identify what's wrong. However, the despair is you're going to be taking four strain as a shock goes and runs through your frontal lobe. Can I soak it? No, but... You're able to immediately reach up and disable a quadrant of your cybernetic headband, uh, and you know what's happening. That internal piece that was fried so long ago that's buried deep into your brain, it's going through another failure. You continue to put stopgap measures into fixing it and kind of rerouting things, but it's only going to work so long. And right now, it's degrading. And with you shutting off that quadrant, you know your efficiency is going to be difficult when it comes to intellectual tasks until you get it fixed. Uh, you're going to be taking a black die for any intellectual tasks until then. Okay. You could have been dealing with a lot more if you hadn't had the triumph. <laughs> so right now, you fix it with a calm, droid-like expression on your face. You don't scream, you don't yell. You are very much in control. Externally. How do you feel internally? You don't usually dream. Internally, she's sluggish. It's like when there's too many operations open on a computer, so the entire system is slowing down. Mm -hmm. So it's not just that her brain is going to be slower on intellectual tasks, but she just is taking in too much sensory input, so it is slowing everything down. With that in mind, I like that. If you wore dimming goggles to kind of reduce what the visual stimuli that you're getting, you would get rid of that black dice until you get it fixed. I'll absolutely do that. Laris is not vain. Yep. You go into the mechanics drawer near your bed, pull out the goggles that you usually use for welding, put them on, and it seems a little bit more focused now. You you look a little goofy because these goggles aren't made for fashion, but who's going to judge you? And with that, you're feeling hungry. I will go to the kitchen. As you open the door, you suddenly hear a voice saying, oh, Watch out, madam! And you see something flying towards you. I duck. Go ahead and make an athletics check. This is just average. One advantage. You get a face full of flapjack as it hits you right in the face. But... The advantage is it's a very delightful tasting <laughs> flapjack, and he didn't put maple syrup on it yet, so it, it's more of a, a soft pat before it falls down to the ground. So you don't, you're not like stained. And with that, you look over towards the galley, and the door is open, and there is Skitter, you know, standing on his four back legs, and one arm, which is kind of a wrench-looking droid arm, because he's in that Bowmare monk spider bot, is holding a pan, and he then. Seeing that he only really has kind of one arm, he waves the gillet towards you, dropping the other flapjacks on the floor. Oh, uh, excuse me, madam. I thought I would make you breakfast since you slept in. Unnecessary. Are you sure? Breakfast is the most important meal of the day, and you haven't eaten for two days. You have only been sleeping for, according to your calculations, six hours. Run an internal diagnostic. Your chronometer is off. Oh. Should I run it for the ship as well, madam, since we show the same results? Yes. 
Just none of them. And what shall I do with these flapjacks? Recycle them. Delightful, madam. And with that, he is scurrying off, leaving the burners on. I turn off the burners. Uh, when he comes back, he says, I'm happy to announce that I and the ship are fully functional without any problems. Good. I was about to wake you. You only have an hour and 36 minutes until we leave hyperspace. I'll be on the bridge. Yes, madam. And he just kind of waves that lone hand of his before scurrying off to start cleaning this mess. Oh, the Gungan drops, the Gungan drops, oh, the Gungan drops, the flapjack. He's been playing around with music since, well, since Castian said sarcastically, oh, yes, you have such a lovely singing voice. Laris goes to the bridge and she is manually double checking the flight path that had originally been programmed, all of the navigational data from the last six hours and or two days, trying to ascertain where the misstep in the data is coming from. There's no misstep. I mean, it is weird because it says you have come and checked on this data every couple six hours. Not manually. You actually did it from your cabin. Uh, you actually used your personal console to check these systems, which required you to actually uh, kind of – you sliced into your own bridge, oddly enough, and you have no recollection of doing this. But apparently you did not want to leave your room. But everything seems tip-top shape except for maybe you. All right, so everything's fine? Everything ship-wise is very fine. <laughs> I guess Laris is just going to sit in the captain's chair and wait for the hour and 36 minutes to pass. And it does, surprisingly quickly. It actually catches you a little bit off guard, which you're kind of adding that to the fact that you had to shut off that uh, that circuit in your headband. So the, the alarm is the first thing that kind of catches your attention. You reach out, touch it, and with a pull of the lever, you leave hyperspace. This is a sector that doesn't even have a name. Since the only living species in the sector come from the planet Mudar, the sector is the Mudar sector. This sector has five planets, a dwarf sun, and uh, Mudar is the second planet closest to the sun. All the other planets are pretty much just, there's a gas planet, there's, they're dead planets. There's nothing really of note of them. The thing of note in this sector, though, is the scores and scores of Star Destroyers. Almost they look like they're blockading the entire planet. And the moment you drop out of hyperspace, you're getting sent a message by the nearest Star Destroyer. I accept it uh, audio channels only. Report your business here at the Mudar Sector. I have an authorized contract from Doctors Without Sectors. Please submit your codes. Lara sends them through. And it takes a minute, three minutes, ten minutes. And then finally, over your comm, you hear the man say, You'll be boarded shortly. You'll be docking with the Markov Liberator. Please cut your engines. Do I know that is the name of a Star Destroyer? Oh yeah, that is absolutely a name of a Star Destroyer. You don't know it personally, but it sounds like a name of a Star Destroyer. <laughs> Negative. I have sensitive medical supplies. Cut your engines immediately. And you see a Star Destroyer moving towards you. That's not good. I don't want no uh, stormtroopers on my ship. Is my ship. I will give you this. In war-torn areas, especially when smuggling is occurring, it, you might be just dealing with a random inspection. All right. I guess I cut the engines. You lean back in your ship as a shadow passes over you and kind of blocks out the light coming from the, the far-off sun. And this monstrosity, it looks like, of a Star Destroyer is overhead. It almost seems like an entire city is floating on top of you. That's how big it is compared to the Nuna Egg, as Castian calls this place. Uh, speaking of which, what are you calling your ship today? What ID are you transmitting? It's actually just a serial number. Just a serial number? Yes, it is obviously a forged serial number. It is not the actual serial number the ship is registered under. Obvious to them or just... Obvious to you. Castian always renames the Howling Gundark the Nuna Egg. In this case, she has renamed it a serial number because names are affectations that are a limit to efficiency. Great. So you feel the tractor beam take hold of the ship and you slowly rise before finally you're inside an Imperial Star Destroyer. You're inside one of the docks and outside you see a squadron of stormtroopers standing there 
waiting for you to come. And in front of him, there seems to be a uh, an officer. It looks like a petty officer, someone who's just basically there. He has a clipboard. How about that? You see a person with a clipboard. So, where do you go? Are you heading off to meet them at the ramp? Yes. And Skitter is right there waiting for you. Hello, madam. Are you ready? Yes. Delightful. He taps the code, and the loading ramp drops. And waiting right there are about six, seven stormtroopers standing behind, again, an officer. And he holds up a hand, waits for the ramp to descend completely, and then he kind of just waves a finger. And those stormtroopers move on up, and they just brush right past you. And the officer just approaches you, not even looking up at you, but is reading through his data pad. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are you wearing a wig? Are you wearing your scarves? What are you wearing? She's wearing one of her scarves as well as she still has the welding goggles on. All right. And and I'm looking at you, Captain Jane Jansen. Is that correct? Yes. All right. And this is the serial number. 2485963. I have it right here. And let's see. He holds out a hand. He's waiting for a receipt of cargo from you, which is just a file. Laris transmits it. Okay, he takes your data pad, looks it over, pauses, and then looks up at you, and finally looks at you. And he takes a step back. This looks wrong. 57 crates of medical supplies, you say? Yes. I believe you mean 50, right? You get a flashback of Castian just saying, just hand the gold over to the god. It's a bribe. It's easy as that. You get a hint that this is what this man's going for. So he's hinting that he wants money or he wants my seven crates of medical supplies? He, Yeah. He's looking to – what you're guessing, he has a little black market of supplies that he sells. So he wants seven of your crates. You can always negotiate. You can always do whatever you want. Uh, but you'd have to roll for it. But right now, this is basically what he's saying. Laris just shakes her head. These are desperately needed medical supplies that I have been contracted to deliver promptly to Doctors Without Sectors here in the Mudar sector. If I am prevented from delivering my full cargo within the time frame that was allotted, I will no longer be trusted with contracts in the future, and you would be destroying my economic viability in this sector. Okay, make a roll for it. Uh, it's going to be average difficulty, and I'll give you a blue die because I like that. What am I rolling? Oh, uh, you're going to be trying to negotiate with him. One advantage. He frowns at you and then rolls his eyes. This man does not care. However, he's going to uh, grab your receipt again and look through it. And then he's going to say, I'll take these seven. And he picks out seven. And after you look through it, uh, you notice that he did not pick any of the supplies that were incredibly rare, like the rare medicines. It looks like he's grabbing the stuff that, you know, bandages, back to patches. He's asking for the supplies that if he takes them, it's not going to completely wipe your stock of those. And then he just says, so is this new receipt correct? And he shows you the receipt that says 50 instead of 57. Yes. He nods his head, talks into a communicator, and then a minute or two later, uh, a couple stormtroopers walk out carrying these crates. You count them. You see the serial numbers. It matches up. With that, he hands you back your receipt. Turns away and says, you're free to fly. Good luck. Just aim for the giant bubble. And on the receipt, you notice there's a set of coordinates. This took less than five minutes. And with that, you're given confirmation to take off again. I I put the new coordinates into the nav computer. And you sail through this blockade. You pass several Imperial Star Destroyer, but you also pass a lot of different vehicles as well. It seems right now that there are a ragtag group of uh, armies that are split by this Imperial blockade. And you're guessing it's the, the military coup and the Queen's people. And right now, you, you the Empire is just right in the middle, just kind of lingering there. And you fly. And you enter the atmosphere and you're heading down towards one of the continents on the west. It looks like a almost uh, surprisingly like a circle. But you're heading towards – it looks like a less jungle, has mountains, and you're just heading down that way. And the coordinates is taking you towards a valley and one of the uh, mountain ranges. 
And you're about a minute or two into flying through the atmosphere, heading down there, when suddenly the radar goes off, an alert, as it suddenly detects a surface-to-air missile being aimed towards you, like the signature. And you have less than a couple seconds before it fires. And you don't even know if it's a handheld device that's been fired at you, or if this is like a hidden turret that is in the valley walls uh, near the mountains where you're flying. But right now, a missile is flying up towards you. You need to make a hard check to avoid it. Because Laris is a pilot, I'm actually going to spend one of my destiny points to give myself an upgrade. Great. Three successes, three threats. Okay, right now, you are you easily juke this missile. It yeah, The Nuna is kind of shaped like an egg, and you wait till the last minute to kind of spin it like it's on its yoke. I'm sorry, it's the 2489563. (laughs) You spin it, so the the kind of the air pressure, the the wind that comes off this thing, pushes this thing around. The threats being, this is a heat seeker, so you know it kind of spins around, recalculates, because it has like a droid box in it, and it fires off towards you with renewed vigor, chasing you down. It is moving faster than, uh, than the Nuna is, you need to be able to get rid of it. So right now you are in flying between mountains, spinning left and right, you're going through canyons, all that stuff, and this thing is gaining on you. What do you want to do? I want to, so I'm going into a valley. You said it was a very lush valley? Yes. Is there like maybe, and I will pay a point if necessary, is there a very large, cool waterfall that I could fly behind? Right now, you're flying through a canyon. You kind of dip into a canyon between two mountaintops, and you're flying, and ahead of you, there is a waterfall. You're really hoping you're not about to crash into a wall behind that waterfall, but you're pretty sure you can see the light. But yeah, there's a waterfall. Go through it. I'm going to give you another a check. I'm going to give you two blue dice for that waterfall trick, but I'm going to upgrade one of the hard dice into a red. But because you're flying in a very narrow canyon, I'm going to give yourself a setback die. However, because Laris is such a good pilot, she can negate one setback die. Okay, well, you just made me eat my crow. Two successes. You fly through this waterfall, the water crashing around you. It kind of wobbles your ship a little bit. The, sh- the shields around you glimmer a bit as it's being struck by a torrential downpour. But you clear the waterfall and you see the heat seeker can't really adjust to all that, the, all that water falling on top of it. So it hits the side of the canyon and explodes. And because you did something very creative, you're going to have to actually do one more try to, to get rid of this thing. But no, you took care of the heat seeker. You made it through. And in front of you, you see what looks like a massive battle going on. People are hiding in trees. Trees are burning. Tanks are crashing through jungle. Both sides are just firing blaster bolts. And you don't even know which side is which. But you do see... In the distance, a bubble that is flickering. It looks like a domed shield. And you remember what the guy said. Go towards the bubble. But as you know, you won't be able to actually enter it unless they lower the shields. As part of my contract, was I given any sort of contact information? Yes, you were giving a, you were given a frequency. So I'm going to spin up that frequency and start broadcasting... This is Jane Jansen of ship 2489563. I have been contracted with Doctors Without Sectors to deliver much-needed medical supplies, requesting permission to land. Uh, Jane Jansen, hello. Yes, uh, this is Dr. Dantian Narian. Yes, I'm glad you could reach us. Uh, We are lowering the shield uh, momentarily. Uh, Please, please hold. And the line goes dead for a second. And I need you to make one more piloting check as... You think both sides decided to say, like, oh, there's a ship flying ahead. They both don't recognize it, so they assume that you're working for somebody else. So people are raising their blasters and they're firing up towards you. This is a volley of blaster fire from some pretty minuscule weapons, so it's not too dangerous. So it's only a three to avoid. Four advantages, four failures. Okay, so you're taking some, like I said, this is minuscule 
uh, damage. But you do feel a lucky blaster bolt, or maybe it was a blaster cannon, hit the sign of Anuna, and suddenly your communicator dish is out. You have no way of receiving or sending messages. Oops. You pass these people firing at you, and you're heading towards the bubble. So what were my advantages there? You lost your communication, but you didn't take damage. I'm going to pilot the ship towards the bubble, mm-hmm. and I, as I am piloting the last couple hundred meters or so uh, to it, I'm summoning Skitter to the bridge, mm-hmm. and I'm telling him that I need him to go out onto the hull and act as a amplifier. You're trying to have him connect to your uh, ship to... Yes. As like an antenna. Yes. Sure. Uh, he's like, yeah, of course, madam. And he skitters away and leaving you for a minute or two just to fly around in a circle as more cannon fire, more blaster bolts are being fired. Like, again, it's just a massive scene. Even the bubble itself isn't completely protecting everybody from uh, on the inside. You see that with each you know minute, an accidental blast hits the shield and it ripples. And you get a call from Skitter on your personal communicator. Oh, madam, I am ready. I have uh, engaged with the ship. I'm going to reach back out to my communication frequency. Now, I need you to actually run a computer since you're kind of channeling. You're doing this on the fly. So you roll a computer, and this is going to be hard. This one is going to be very hard. Can I have a boost die for using Skitter? Yes. One success, one advantage, one triumph. You were afraid that using Skitter as an amplifier would fry him. Not enough to just completely, like, you know, lose him forever. You could repair the damage. You don't do that. Actually, you're actually surprised how smoothly everything operates in order for you to send a two-second burst of just binary towards the, uh, towards the communicator, basically saying, lost communications. That's all. And you don't lose Skitter. Um, after you're done, he, you assume, is going to be crawling back towards the uh, escape hatch and then going down. You see the shields flicker and you catch a code within that as if they're kind of using morse code Uh, and it's basically saying uh, giving you a time and they want you to fly in at that time that exact time it is down to the second so go ahead and this is going to be average nothing too difficult uh, but i do still want you to roll it piloting again yes piloting again one success you head straight towards the shields and a second before it's that time they send you the shields cut off and they're exposed. You fly through, two seconds later, shields activate again, and you you, you reduce your speed, and you see a a series of, uh, they're called uh, pit droids, holding up, looks like glow sticks, towards you. There's like several uh, of them, and they all scatter, and they kind of make a circle, and they're just waving their arms around. There is a pattern to them. Again, you notice the Morse, and they're basically saying, this is where you're landing. And I do. You easily put it down. The uh, dust flies up from your repulsors before you cut them, leaving kind of like a cloud around you. And when you lower the ramp, you immediately, the first thing you see is the lone eyes of the pit droid. A pit droid, they're very small. They're about maybe three feet tall, uh, very thin arms and legs, little body. And then they have almost, instead of a head, a helmet. It almost looks like a, a miner's helmet. With that lone headlight being the eye. And you see them all kind of running towards the ramp with their arms up. And they're just kind of charging up the ramp past you. Or they're not even noticing you, it seems. I look around for who's in charge. It takes a minute or two before you see a Rodian approach. And very much like that Imperial officer, uh, she's not looking at you. She is instead looking at a data pad. Are you responsible for the pit droids? She looks up, her snout kind of, like, sniffing a little bit, and she says, Naja Matisse is responsible, yes, yes. I am Naja. What is your power supply of your engines? I fail to see the relevance of my power supply when your pit droids are potentially damaging my ship. They are just analyzing the power supply. Tell me, does your shield matrix, uh, does it support a, a dual crystal configuration? My power supply is irrelevant to my delivery. Uh, uh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And you see a man coming through the thinning clouds of dust. And he's, he is a man. He is 30 years old, has scruff, but he's wearing a jacket, a doctor's jacket, that's probably two sizes too big. So 
it makes him look a little bit like I'm a teenager wearing my dad's outfit. And he has the uh, sleeves rolled up. Uh, he has heavy bags under his eyes and his hair is pulled back in a very messy ponytail. And he, he says, excuse, excuse me, excuse me, Naja, Naja, um, just, just call off your pit joys, please, please. I am, I am so sorry, uh, Captain uh, Jane Jansen, yes? Yes. Hi, hi, I think we spoke very momentarily. I, I am uh, Dantian Narian. Hello. Hi, I was hoping that if perhaps we could uh, talk about um, the supplies. Yes, um, uh, can I uh, send people to retrieve the supplies now? Uh, your payment. He reaches into his pocket and he actually pulls out a bag of actual credit. It's not like a credit chip. These are minted credits. They spend just as well, but it's kind of like getting paid with dollar coins. It's weird, but... It still technically counts, and he just holds out a, a bag for you. Uh, you can count them. That That is all the pay that is due uh, for 57 crates of materials. But I was hoping that we could talk about um, expanding your contract. I must inform you, I only have 50 crates on board. You see his face, and you see nothing but relief. Oh, they, they only took seven. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad. 50. 50. Um, do you have the receipt? I want to see what they took. I gave him the receipt. Oh, oh, good, 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 good. They, 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 they did not use the Sephirian. I was worried that they, that's, that has a very high value. Good bandages, back to patches. Ugh. We really didn't need those pads, but we can make do. Okay, th- this is good. Thank you. Thank you. And he looks towards the Rodian, who again is back to looking at her data pad. And the, the pit droids have been summoned out of your ship and they're behind her, kind of stacked like bowling pins behind her. And they just, they're bouncing a little bit on their toes, like they're energetic children high on like sugar. I would like to see the cargo removed from the ship so that I can be on my way. If it's all possible, um, uh, it will take at least 20 minutes to uh, take out all the cargo uh, with our volunteers. But uh, could we perhaps speak in my office or we could speak here in the, somewhere a little bit more private? I summon Skitter. What have you? Please supervise the removal of our cargo while I continue negotiations on the ground. Of course, ma'am. You can count on me. I do. And he starts pointing and directing. Again, you know, Castian finds him very annoying, but Castian is really wrong about uh, Skidder. Skidder knows his stuff. He is he is telling people what to take which crates by the weight and the importance, and there's like an equation that's a thing of beauty in your head. Because of Skidder, something that would take 30 minutes would take less than 10. And you are following Dr. Narian out? Yes. And he leads you uh, through this camp. From what you can tell, and he's kind of giving you this information as you guys are moving along. This is what is known. You see a sign called Operation Zone Peth. There are things to note here. It looks like this operation is it's split in kind of a three parts. Uh, there are to the right of this camp, to the east of the camp, uh, that's where the her soldiers are. They're in the eastern part of the camp. You can tell that there's a small security force that's guarding that area, basically to keep the her soldiers to go continue the fight with the people that are on the west side of the camp, which is the Vajir soldiers. And in the middle are actually just, it looks to be civilians, unless somebody is hiring child soldiers, which you wouldn't be surprised giving it, but these seem like more like families that are caught up in the the hustle and bustle. There seems to be pockets of surgical bays everywhere, but in the very center, it seems to be the main operations. And what you've landed next to is what you looks to be a, a small portable power plant. And uh, you know what? You can make a, a perception check if you'd like. Use mechanics. Do I still have my setback die? Uh, no, because you're wearing your goggles. Unless you took That's them right. off. I'm sorry. This is going to be average difficulty. Three successes, one advantage. That power plant looks like it's on its last leg. You now understand why there was the rippling and the flickering of the shields. Mm-hmm. It's it's taken it's taken more energy and kinetic blasts than it's probably meant to. They're exceeding safety protocol. Your power plant is operating at 14% efficiency. Uh, yes, that, that's actually what I was hoping to speak with you about. Uh, please, come in. And he leads you into a tent. And it's that's as as dignified as you can call it. It is a tent and maybe to those who are a little used to something more fancier, it's a bunch of sticks holding up a tarp. And in the middle is a, it's a nice desk and he kind of waves you towards a stool and then he takes a seat on a 
less than comfortable crate that he's using as a chair. And he sets two chipped teacups between the two of you and reaches out, grabs like a flask, shakes it, which ignites a like an igniter inside of it. So it boils something inside this like thermos and he pours two cups. It smells like Corellian tea. And he picks it up kind of with a shaky hand and takes a sip. You see, um, I am shocked that you actually made the trip here. Um, uh, according to our advertising, uh, we, we said that this was a very high risk job. Um, and uh, we're just we're so delighted that we finally have someone who is willing to, um, to, to make the trip. So th- thank you for that. Um, and again, I'm sorry. I, I didn't apologize. Why didn't I apologize? We should have apologized. I'm sorry that we paid you with minted credits, but I assure you they are all authentic. Yes, that is why I took the job for the credits. Yes. I was hoping that perhaps we could um, wrench your ship for the next uh, f- four days. For what purpose? Does your power supply have the following schematic? He takes out his data pad. It's too much for him. To, he could read it through, but he would probably butcher half the names, and he just pushes it forward. Uh, I don't want to get too technical. Squinting at this, your ship could follow those schematics. You would have to adjust some things, but you could put out a proper modulation. Also, by looking at the schematics, you have an idea of why they want you to add these modifications to your ship, or to be more specific, your ship's engine. He wants to use your ship to take out some of the pressure that's on the power plant and kind of use you almost as a binet or a a buffer or kind of like just an energy transfer, a filter. That's what he's hoping to do. Yes, my ship is capable of this. However, I am concerned about using it in such a fashion in an active war zone. Yes, I understand. But our shield matrix, it's not going to hold more than... Honestly, it should have shut down an hour or two ago. We could really use your help. And again, I, I will pay. We, we, I will get you the money for this rental. And not only that, but Doctors Without Sectors, we are spread throughout the galaxy. If perhaps I would be gladly to write a recommendation. What is your plan for after the four days of the proposed rental period? By that point, Doctors Without Sectors will have a, uh, a craft drop off a new power plant for us. It's just been held up. And what guarantee do you have that whatever is holding it up currently will be resolved in four days? Hope and dreams and... (laughs) Listen, all I know is our entire mechanics team that was supposed to be uh, managing this were killed because someone set off a bomb near the power supply. Right now, Naja, which is the Rodian you meant, she was actually one of our janitors, and, but she, her brother, fixes had her fix swoop bike. So she's actually our head mechanic now. She tells me that if we have a ship or an engine that can do whatever that is, she says it can, it will hold for four days long enough for us to get our supplies. I look again at the schematics that have been drawn up. Could I, like, you said that by looking at them, I can piece it together. Mm-hmm. Since I know my ship better, would I be able to actually improve the efficiency even greater than four days? I like that. Make it. This is going to be two, but I'm going to give a red die because I just want to make it more difficult for you. (laughs) I upgrade the hell out of the efficiency. Four successes, one threat, one triumph. You don't tell him this yet. Oh, of course not. I've learned some things about negotiation. Not enough to have a point in the skill, but... Her design would have damaged your ship. I mean, it wouldn't – you would have been able to fly out, but you could probably have said like, hey, my ship is going to be damaged. You need to pay for the repairs. You've basically figured out how to do what she wants without any risk to your ship. And you could probably do it in secret. So right now, he thinks that he has to pay you more because your ship's going to be damaged during this. So you're, he's paying for the repairs afterwards. You now know that you don't need to do that. Hmm. So I believe that's called a power move. <laughs> or a little nugget of information that you can keep to yourself or you could just play, be very ethical. So Blaris is going to say, provided that the contract is agreeable, my ship can handle these modifications. However, the ship is very unique and only I am qualified to make alterations to its engine core. 
I can make the arrangements on my ship and your team can do the hookup to your power plant. So, yeah, yeah. And what is your going rate? Let's do a quick negotiation roll to see how well you do. Angela, with your modification, you get a, you're going to get a blue die. I have zero in negotiation and only a presence of two. So, you know what? I'm actually going to spend, if it's all right, two destiny points to upgrade both my dice. Yeah, it seems like what you need it. I want to give, I want some destiny points myself. Really? Really? Even with that upgrade, one failure. One failure? One failure. Yeah, you walk out feeling great. You, you've got exactly the right price that you think you could have gotten. Nice job. You definitely missed the cabbage batch uh, that uh, Narian is doing as you leave. <laughs> <laughs> well, you give him what you think is a, a fair price. Um, but un- unfortunately for Laris, a fair price is a little bit more like this is the exact number instead of like what hazard pay cost. So it is probably out of character lower than what you would get. So you're, you're probably losing a couple hundred credits. Dr. Narian says, hey, delightful. Um, if, if you want, uh, I, can, I can have someone escort you uh, to, back to your ship uh, and they can give you a quick tour of where you can find the food here. You, of course, your meals are completely comped by doctors without sectors. Um, and and uh, we'd, be, we'd be really ec- uh, ecstatic if you could, um, uh, if you want to assist in any way. Um, and of course, we would pay you for anything that you are um, uh, willing to do, uh, of course. I require minimal nutrition from your rations, and other than my mechanic skills, I'm not sure what need you would have of me here in your camp. Oh, you you would be surprised. Um, unfortunately, um, we no longer have an imperial presence here. We, we actually had a couple of stormtroopers, and the stormtrooper legion and, and some of their uh, engineers helping us, but unfortunately, as of uh, a, a day ago, they all were called off by the moth. Unfortunately, Vajir's uh, group, they fired on us um, and the stormtroopers returned fire, killed several of their people, and the Vajir basically accused the Empire of uh, deciding to throw in their lot with the her. So uh, it looks like the moth has <laughs> decided just to pull the Empire's presence here altogether. So we have plenty of jobs that pay. All right. Anyway, TK. TK, and he waves a hand, and you see someone who is kind of passing the door stop, and a mountain of a man steps back. He is a human, but you're guessing he is a human that was raised on a planet that might have a slight bit more gravity than what humans are usually uh, used to. So those people tend to be bigger, and this guy is seven feet tall, with lean muscles all through him. He has muscles. In a way, he looks very much like Terry Crews. Uh, except for except for those, that beaming smile, he has a face that is etched in stone and set to scowl. And he's wearing a giant poncho over him, and then under that poncho you see, like, just trousers. And he is carrying... It looks like a, a repeater blaster, which is usually something that you set up on two spokes and you hold on to it. But he's just carrying it in one hand and he sets it down size, says, yeah, Narian. And he's like, yes, delightful. TK, I want to introduce you to Jane Janeson. I was hoping that you could escort her back to her ship and just give her the lay of the land. Answer any questions that she may have because I need to... Oh. I am probably due back in surgery about five minutes ago. <laughs> I'm probably going to have to sew out my old kidney and give it to a child. That's That was a joke that sounded better in my head. I'll work on it in the surgical bay. And he stands up, spilling his cup of tea, like squinches his eyes to take a deep breath, like serenity now. Takes a deep breath, and then he just walks off, leaving you with this giant man. Make a perception roll. What is my difficulty? Average. But I'm going to give you a setback die because of the poncho. Two advantages. Military. He has military training, this man. Just the way he mm-hmm. stands. You've seen it before at the academy. Mm-hmm. Truth be told, he has imperial military training. He looks at you, gives you like a one-two with his eyes, and then just shrugs, picks up his repeating rifle and says, follow me. Laris will fall into step behind him, but she'll ask, why do I need a military escort through a Doctors Without Sectors camp? You see over there to the west? She looks over to the west. Vajar's people. See that over the right? 
Look over to the right. Her people. They um, <clears throat> they like to fight. And the last thing that the doctors without sectors would want is for a pilot who is delivering for us to be killed and their ship taken. And uh, it would probably look bad for them. You are not a member of Doctors Without Sectors. No, no, no. I'm just a volunteer, he says. As a very thin, scrawny teenager, probably maybe 18, like a day ago, runs up to him wearing uh, basically a sash that says security. And he's like, sir. And he hands this man a data pad. And he looks it over and he's like, uh, uh, yeah, increase patrols. And he hands it back to the kid. And the kid bows his head, like bows, like he's bowing to a king, winces as if that was a bad idea, then just runs off. And you just hear the guy say, stars. And just continues, like, marching towards your ship. Nice ship. Haven't seen one of these in a while. I thought they got decommissioned. Not this one. Mm, got a name? 2489563. Ah, sentimental, are you? He leads you to your ship, and then he just grabs, like, a nearby crate, drags it over and sets it down, and then he just sits down in front of your ramp with the the repeater rifle resting between his legs. Okay, if you need anything from me, just holler. I'm here to help. Understood. And as you're walking up, you toss one more last glance to him, and you see he throws the poncho over his shoulder, and underneath the poncho is a stormtrooper chest plate. And he reaches down, takes a cigar from his pocket, lights it up, and just inhales. There's you get back and you see that this is the very tail end of the droids and the people uh, carrying out the crates. And you do see that Rodian, uh, Naja, uh, bouncing on her heels, just waiting for you. Did you agree? Did you agree? Yes, Naja's plan works. Yes. Yes. Did you agree? Did you agree? Can my droids start their uh, work? I will be doing all modifications to 2489563. It's very complicated, and I have worked very hard. Yes, you have worked hard, but I know my ship. Naja will not let you do this. This is too difficult. Naja will do it. And she is moving towards your engines. Oh, no, she is not. Uh, Laris will step in between the engine and her. This is the terms of my agreement with Doctors Without Sectors. But I will do all work on my ship if you do not agree to the contract that has already been laid out with Dr. Nerian, then you will not have my ship. Rodians are a little hard to read. They're, they don't really have the expressive features that humans have. Uh, you, you've read somewhere before, you don't know where, a lot of their expressions are in their snapped. But as a human, you're not really... You you haven't learned the, the ways of snout expressions. But you could tell she is annoyed. Almost, it's not because of her expression. It's more of the way her body tenses. At first, she was kind of bouncing on her heels a little bit excited. Now it's like she's clinching in order to keep her rage out. And finally, she takes a step towards you as if she's going to strike you. And then you hear behind you, everything okay in here? And you look over your shoulder and it's TK just kind of leaning in, smoking in your ship. And Naja freezes. Naja does not like this one. Yeah? Naja can do her work for herself. She does not need someone interrupting her. Naja, you heard Captain Jane. Her ship, her rules, her contract. Which means get the hell out. Or I can throw your pit droids one at a time before you decide to chase them. She shoots him a glare. And then shoots you a glare. And now you can now you get a feeling that you know what snout expression a Rodian does when they're annoyed. And then she grabs her tools as if to say, like, well, you're not using my tools to do this. And she stomps off. And as she walks down the ramp, Skitter comes up the ramp and he says, oh, My goodness, how dreadful smoking in the cargo hold. I think not, sir. And TK looks towards the door, then looks towards the droid and then looks towards you as if, is he serious? Smoking is not allowed on this vessel. And then he just takes another drag and walks down the ramp. Very lucky, sir. I would have had to teach him an etiquette lesson. Thank you, Skitter. Shall I start the engines? No, we have accepted a new contract that is going to keep us on Mudor for four more days. I will need your assistance here in the engine bay. We are going to need to make some modifications in order to keep their power plant running. 
So go ahead, make a mechanics roll. Now this is actually gonna be hard. You're going to be able to do it. It's just, these are there's gonna be complications that arise. But because you also got that triumph with your plan, I'm gonna give you a blue die. And you have Skitter with you? Mm -hmm. Does he have any mechanics? No. So he'd give me an additional blue die. Yeah, he gives you an additional blue die for just handing you the spanners. Spending a <laughs> destiny point to upgrade again. Wow. Ah, uh, one success. All those dice. One success. You're able to do this. Absolutely. There is no damage to your ship. The only problem is you're kind of using your ship to collect the energy. Thus, as soon as you start it up and after you've spent five, ten minutes in there just walking around, your implants are starting to hurt because there's so much static that's built up in the walls. You could survive in here, but while you're in your vessel, while this is going on, it's going to be two setback die. So it's not comfortable in here at all. You do know that Dr. Narian said that you you can eat, you could, you know, maybe you, you can even ask for a cut. But right now, if you're staying in here, you're going to be, it's kind of just like being next to a stereo that has that really bad frequency. But since you got like, as long as you got a success, you absolutely get this done without a problem. And since you have no threats, it's not actually going to cause you strain. It's just going to be very distracting and kind of painful. Is it just my implants that are affected or is Skitter affected as well? It just seems to be your implants, honestly. Skitter seems totally fine. Then once I'm convinced that everything is running smoothly... I am going to tell Skitter. I'm going to report to Ms. Naja that the ship is ready for her hookup to the power plant. And then I am going to seek quarters within the camp. I need you to stay on board and make sure that Naja does not get any ideas that she may be able to do additional modifications. Should I set my mode to sentry mode, ma'am? Yes. Consider me a sentry. And he skitters off. But absolutely. Uh, his eyes for a second, uh, they flicker. And behind, they usually are a, a bright yellow that Castine always complains about. But now they're dark green. Dark and mysterious. Almost like he's wearing like night vision goggles. And he skitters away. You find Naja waiting outside. Again, bouncing on her toes. And you notice again those pit droids bouncing on their toes. <laughs> waiting, 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 waiting. As soon as they see you, she approaches. Naja wants to know, is it done? Did you do it? Is it, it? Can I get the power levels? Yes. Yes, the connection may be made. She looks towards your data pad where you've kind of like taken a readout of all that and, mm -hmm. and then points towards it and then off, holds her hands out, almost shaking in, with excitement. She wants to see it. I hand it to her. She looks through it, frowns, frowns deeper, looks offended, then just hands you back the, the schematics. Most likely, she noticed the changes, and just and she doesn't want to bring it up because they were better. And then she marches off, and you see the pit droids run after her like Muppets again, their arms flailing. They grab a giant like connector hose, move it towards one of the outer battery outlets, snap it, and then suddenly you see all the lights on your ship go out, and they come back, but they're dimmed. And you hear in that, that st the static around it gives you a little bit of a more of a sting. You want to be probably at least 10 feet away from it mm -hmm. to fully escape those setback dice. Mm -hmm. And there you are. TK steps next to you, takes a drag of his cigar and looks up. And you finally see that the shield around you is looks a lot more healthy. There's not as many flickers. Nice. Good job, Jane. Thank you. I require lodging in your camp. Yeah, well, it was your choice. I could probably put you in the civilian section. Good. You are put in a section that's clean. And not only that, but there are not a lot of wounded around you. Or the people who are – this seems more like refugee area than wounded, uh, crying, dying. He, pro he, he found you the best bed in a refugee camp pretty much. It's not Coruscant's upper crust, but it will do for now. It's a nice cot. And uh, with that being said, honestly, you're more tired than you assumed. Uh, you kind of just kind of realize you've been you've been active for a while. It's flying down here took a while. Talking to the Imperials took a while. Talking to Narian took a while. Making the modifications took a while. And even though that the sun is still high up, you're just you're you're exhausted. 
and you really could use a nap. And I will take a nap on my cot. And with that, you drift off into a dream. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fandible Solo Shot, Star Wars Force and Destiny podcast. You can now find all episodes on the Fandible Solo Shot podcast feed on iTunes and all other podcasting platforms. Please subscribe and leave us a review to help new listeners find us for their Star Wars actual play fix. You can also find us on Twitter at Solo Shot Podcast. And if you enjoy the stories we tell here and on the rest of the Fandible Podcast Network, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash fandible. Thanks again, and may the Force be with you always.